0: as we've looked at the Psalms over the last few weeks, we've seen, haven't we, that the world can be a fearful place, very unpredictable, uncertain, and just around the corner, we could be facing news that is going to change our lives. And that means there are going to be times that we face, times of danger, times of threat, times of discomfort. And when you're in that situation of threat and discomfort, when you're in a situation where you feel scared, where do you turn? where do you turn for help where do you turn for comfort where do you turn for safety another way to put it as david puts it here is where do you turn as your refuge let me ask you this morning what is your refuge i don't mean what's the right answer here i don't mean oh god is my refuge and strength where do you really turn as your refuge what is your functional refuge It could be this morning that when things get hard, you just turn to entertainment and lose yourself in TV or box sets. Maybe some people might turn to food or drink and try and drown or take away those sorrows in that way. Maybe you turn to sleep and just try and escape the problems through um, taking your mind off it through sleep. It could be just through distraction and throwing ourselves into busyness and action and all never stopping so we don't have to think about what's really happening maybe we just turn in on ourselves and don't let anybody else near and just think I'm gonna cope with this on my own or perhaps you just go into hyper control mode where you have lists and things and trying to keep into control of everything that you can because you know that there's one area that you can't now where do you turn as your refuge now these safe places that we have might give us some kind of short-term help, might get us through a day or two, but ultimately they're going to let us down. The box set will finish. The food comes to an end and doesn't deeply fill us up and just leaves us feeling worse. Distraction can only last for so long. Shutting others out will push them away from you and you'll be left all alone. Hyper control doesn't work because we can't be in control of all things see these are false refuges and we need to see them for what they are yes there are lots of things for us to enjoy as god's good gifts but let's not put too much weight on them to help us in the way that only god can because this morning david comes to us and he says i want to tell you about my refuge i want to tell you about my help and my safe place look what he says in verse one preserve me O god that is watch over me save me from my trouble for in you i take refuge this psalm is describing for us uh, the refuge that david has found and it's a glorious refuge picture with me this scene you're in a storm maybe you're in a forest okay and it is chucking it down i'm sure you can imagine what that's like you know in the back recesses of your mind (laughs) but it's really heavy rain and you're stuck in this forest so you think right i need a shelter And so you see that there's this kind of rudimentary shelter just up ahead. And it is a few sticks, some kind of plastic tarpaulin over the top, and you kind of, you're under it. Now, you're still wet. The the wind is blowing sideways. Obviously, it usually does blow sideways, isn't it? The wind is blowing at you. You're getting colder and colder. The rain is coming in. There's some big holes in the top. So there's water coming in even to this shelter, and it's weak. And the wind comes, you think it's going to fall down. It is not a safe shelter. And then just... Over the brow of the hill, not over, but before the brow of the hill, you see a lovely cottage. And there it is, the lights are on. You can see the fire is burning. And there is an open door. And there is somebody asking you, come in as your shelter. Now, just picture that with me. Go with me for a moment. Can you see the difference? There is warmth. There is welcome. There is safety. Or there is something that is working as a stand-in but not really going to keep you warm and safe very long. The flimsy shelter or the real one where are you going to turn well this morning david wants us to see look come in take a look with me around my shelter experience what i'm experiencing listen to what i'm what i'm enjoying and he invites us in so here is a refuge he uses four ways to describe this refuge to us this is a refuge number one of deep devotion deep devotion verses two to four look what he says in verse two i say to the lord you are my lord now notice there's two words for lord there it sounds the same but if you look on the page you've got a capital l-o-r-d and then uh, just the one capital l and a lowercase lord there so there's two different words in the hebrew the one is lord in the capitals is yahweh jehovah the covenant name of god and the second one is lord as in my god my boss my sovereign my king So here he is, he's saying, God, sovereign God, you know, the the covenant keeping God, you are my king, you are my boss, you are the one who's in control of my life. Now, is it a hard thing for him to hand over the reins of his life to this king, this sovereign? Is it hard for him to take the throne off his head and put it on the head of God? Well, no, because he says, I have no good Apart from you, there is nothing good except you. You are my marker for good and nothing good elsewhere. And so, you are so good, you are so kind, you are so wonderful. I am willingly submitting myself to your lordship, to your authority. So, this isn't someone reluctantly handing over the reins of their life to a tyrant they disagree with or deep down don't want to. They are willingly saying, Oh, yes, you are great, you are good. And I'm giving my life to you. You are now my Lord and my boss. This is a joyful commitment, a loving devotion to God. I wonder this morning, does that describe our life? Does that describe your life? Can you say, you are my Lord, you are my King, you are my sovereign? I wonder, if not, what's holding you back? What is holding you back from saying, God, I want to give everything to you. I want to hand it all over to you you know so often it's because we we often think we know best we look at what god wants we think well that's an interesting suggestion i'll take it on board but i'm going to go with what i think one writer writes how this changed his life when he heard this illustration and he said he heard somebody say this in a conference and it changed the way he looked at god after it and he's the person speaking said this at the distance between the earth and the sun as i've said many times now is 93 million miles again these numbers are hard to grasp so if you were to drive to the sun today, so if we had a car that was pointed towards the sun um, and you drove 65 miles an hour, how long would it take? It would take 163 years to drive. So we better get going if we want to make it. No, it'd take a long time. That's, that's how far it is, Okay, 163 years, 65 miles an hour. If you've been far away in the car, just imagine that it just keeps going and going for 163 years. Now, um, let's imagine that distance, is the thickness now of a sheet of paper i've got a sheet of paper here as a welcome sheet the sheet of paper okay that 93 million miles that's representing that okay now um the distance from the earth to the nearest star is how many sheets of paper stacked up on themselves it is 70 foot of paper okay that's two telegraph poles if you go outside and look at the telegraph poles two of them sheets of paper each one representing 93 million miles and the Bible tells us that God spoke this universe into existence. You know here is somebody who, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, his hand, as it were. And the diameter of the Milky Way is, if that was a stack of paper, that would be over 300 miles high. And that's just the diameter, diameter of our galaxy, and there are more galaxies in the universe than there is sand on the seashore. God spoke that into being, or as it tells us in. Um, Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ holds it in the word of his power. He upholds it all. And the question that this man was asked in this conference was, in the speak, when somebody was speaking was, is that the kind of person you ask to be your assistant? We think we know best, and here is the God of all creation, the, the mighty one, and he says, trust me. Trust me. So are you willing to say this morning, Lord you are my Lord. God, I trust you. I am no longer in control of my life. I want you to have the say. I want you to, to, to speak into my life. I want to listen to you. That means this morning we have to admit we don't have all the answers. We don't know what's best. Um, and we say to God, I trust you. Now, when we say, often we might say and sing, Jesus is Lord. But the question and the challenge for us is, is he Lord? Of all our life, Every area, no kind of bit we're saying, I'll give him most of it, 80%, but 20% I'm keeping you, 10%. Is my... No, every single area. He is Lord of our life, is he? He should be able to say every bit of our life, that's mine, Jesus says. Trust it to me. And when we do that, because there is no good apart from him, we can do it willingly. We can do it saying, God, you are good, and I trust you. And if we doubt that again, we go to the cross and sure, where he shows his love for us in in technical now maybe this morning you're not a christian you're thinking there is no way i am letting anybody else take the shots and call the shots of my life i am living this on my own i'm the king i'm the boss i i want to be free i don't let anybody else tell me what to do it's interesting what david says in verse 4 look what he says the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or their names on my lips See, we might say this morning, oh, I'm not following God. I'm not letting anybody tell me what to do. But David points out here that we're all worshiping something. We are all letting something or somebody call the shots in our life. What is it you're living for? What is it that you are, that is controlling you? What is it that you think will satisfy, will protect you, will help you? That is your God. That is your idol. And you are serving it. You are letting it call the shots. You're not free. No one is free. We're all serving something. That's how we were made. Um, Cal- John Calvin, the theologian, says our heart is an idol factory. And if we push God out, we'll just make another God. And those gods will just um, run us, um, in, run into many sorrows, as verse 4 says. These idols, they promise the world and they leave us empty. So here he is, David is saying, this shelter I'm in is one of um, deep devotion I am committed to my Lord and as he realizes that it's interesting he looks around and he sees people in the same position as him who are in the shelter as well look at verse 3 as for the saints in the land they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight so he's not in this shelter on his own but he's sharing it with others and as he looks around at other people who share in this devotion to the same God and the same, ref- same refuge he is full of delight in these other believers so his attitude to those who trusted in god there is just one full of joy he delights in god's people he is thrilled they're there and they are worshiping god with him now i don't know if you've had this experience but think of something that you are passionate about and enjoy maybe a musician or a book you read or a tv program or a football club or a rugby club you you are passionate about this thing and then you meet someone else who has the same passion it's a great moment, isn't it? Because you can share or do you, what, about, what do you like about them, and you can share things you love uh, and, um, and share that kind of connection that you have. Well, when it comes to God, when it comes to delighting in the same God and being devoted to the same God, when we see other people with the same devotion, it should thrill our hearts. When we see other believers, there, is, there should be this connection and rejoicing together. Now, this past year for us as a church and, and many churches has been a really tough time, hasn't it? We want to be connected. We want to be together. And we haven't been able to do that in the way that we've wanted to. We've tried to, but it's been different. And so we are going to have to work hard, aren't we, over the next few months and, year, and uh, yeah, months, really, to reconnect. Let's pray for this as a church, that we don't drift apart, but that we pull together, that we see the saints in the land, we see one another, and that we delight in one another and being together. Let's pray for ways we can do that to one another and connect together as things open up as we're allowed to meet together more let's pray uh, for us as a church to to bring us and unite us together so the first thing about this shelter that david has found this refuge is it is one of deep devotion the next thing we learn about it this shelter this refuge is one of satisfying savoring verses five to six satisfying savoring let's look at those verses the lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have found a beautiful inheritance. Now, these words are used in Old Testament imagery that uh, the people reading the Psalms back then would have understood, but we might need a bit of kind of catching up on just to remind us what they mean. So every tribe in in, in Israel, in in God's people in Israel, um, uh, would have a portion of land allotted to them. So every tribe, this is your patch of land. But there was one tribe that didn't get any land. They didn't get any inheritance and that was the levites they were to be serving in the temple or the tabernacle and they were serving there so they weren't given a patch of land like every other tribe so um when when it comes to uh, looking here it says uh, in joshua 13 it says to the tribe of levi moses gave no inheritance the lord the god of israel is their inheritance god is your inheritance you're not getting land you're getting me god says God was uh, what they needed. And how did these la- these, um, uh, niche, these tribes sorry, find which land they were going to have? They cast lots. So they would kind of you know, pull a straw out of a hat. No, pull a straw out or pick a name out of a hat. and That's your land. So do you, when we look at these verses again, do you see what David is saying? He is saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my patch. The Lord is my inheritance. He Is what I need and in his hand is my life my situations everything everything is in his hands and whatever God chooses verse 6 I trust him he these lines have fallen for me in pleasant places so he is saying God I have you you are everything I need you are my beautiful inheritance and not that this his life is going to be easy and rosy we know that through other Psalms don't we and through his life story he has a really tough time and yet he can say God I trust you with this. He is satisfied in God. God is enough for him. You're the only possession I need. Now everywhere we're told and kind of our society is based on this and the the um, the con- culture we have our consumer culture says you need to have this to make yourself satisfied, is not it? Everywhere we turn uh, we you can't be happy unless you have this unless you have the latest phone, the latest car, the latest thing, whatever it is, keeps on saying, you need this, you need this, you need this. And so we are constantly being told that you can't be satisfied. And yet, what are we finding? It's not enough. We do always need the next one, because the last one didn't work, it didn't fill us up as we went. Did We do need more, we do. And it doesn't fill us up. And here, David is saying, you can be content and happy and satisfied in God. He is what we need. His majesty and his beauty is enough to fill our hearts. Nothing else can. And so he treasures God above everything. Now this morning, do we believe that? Do we believe that actually God is enough for us? That he is our portion? Have we strayed me into thinking, you know, um, I, I need more than God. He's not enough here god is worth being told He is a beautiful inheritance there's nothing else we need he is enough and maybe this morning you're not a christian maybe you see that you've tried so many different things and they just leave you feeling empty you thought it would fill you up but it doesn't this morning god is saying come to me i can be your portion i can be your inheritance i can be enough and also just in passing do you see there he says you hold my lot that is um God, you hold all the circumstances of my life in your hand, and He's saying, "I trust you." So maybe today you need to be reminded of that—that your your situation is in God's hand. He knows what's happening. It's not random. It's not by accident. It doesn't answer all our questions, but to know that somebody's got us and somebody we can trust, somebody who's bigger than us, can be a deep comfort in times of trial. So what is this shelter like? It's one of deep devotion. It's one of satisfying savoring. The third thing is this, it's one of profound protection. Profound protection. Verses 7 to 10. David's life in these verses, we're told, are totally secure in God. It's a big theme that comes throughout the thing, the the psalm. He is so um, secure. He will bless the Lord um, who gives him counsel, verse 7. He'll bless the Lord who gives him counsel, so God counsels him. God guides him, gives him words of counsel and help through his word that's where he would get that from and he gives him this counsel and then verse seven second half of the seven in the night my heart instructs me literally there the word heart means kidneys <laughs> my insides instruct me a strange thing to say isn't it what does he mean well he is saying that god is so much part of him that he is so kind of um soaked in god and his word and his ways that in the darkness when he's on his own, his insights, his kidneys, his heart instructs him because he set the Lord, verse 8, always before him. So David is so saturated with the Word of God and God's ways that when he can't even read it, his heart is kind of telling him stuff and truths about God uh, and he is instructed then. Now, I think this is a really important point for us just to pause and think, well, We need to hear this, don't we? There are times, there are going to be times in our life, and maybe you're in that now, when you won't be able to read the Bible. It could be for physical reasons, Um, it could be for um, mental struggles that we have. There are going to be times of high pressure where we don't have time to. There are going to be times of illness or depression or mourning where we just don't feel like reading God's word or speaking to Him. So at those times, what happens? Well, at those times, the amount we are saturated in God's word will become clear. Because our insides, our kidneys, our heart will instruct us of things. And I know that is the testimony of many people here. Because we've spoken about it. And you have said there have been times where God has come alongside. And even in the darkness, even in the night, where nobody else has been able to help you. God just brings something of his word to your mind. Maybe a verse to help and encourage. Maybe a line from a song or a hymn to keep you going. You know, you are weary and you are heavy laden. You need rest and then you remember God's words, Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Maybe worry and panic comes over you and you remember Matthew 6, Jesus' words. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap and your heavenly Father feeds them. You are more value than the birds of the air. And you just remember that and it brings a peace. Maybe you're facing a week and the burdens just seem to be getting uh, heavier and heavier. Uh, the mountains before you get bigger and bigger. And then you remember to add it, you know, you giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. You know, to added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials His multiplied peace. Our inside can instruct us. So that's why we need to be soaking ourselves in God's word now at the times when we're able to. That's why it is good to be able to sing um, God's word and and sing songs to encourage each other and help us. Isn't this what we saw with Jesus as well last week, Psalm 22? What did Jesus cry out on the cross? He cried out scripture. Why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. He was so so saturated in God's word. That's what came out of him under pressure. So here he is david is in the darkness and his insides are instructing him Uh, his heart is instructing him because he set the lord always before me but what happens as a result because he's listening to god's counsel god is keeping him safe because he is at my right hand i shall not be forsaken so he knows god is with him he knows god won't abandon him and that's not just in life but look what verse um, 9 goes on to say My heart is glad my whole being rejoices my flesh dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to sheol or let your holy one see corruption so god you're with me now in life and you're with me in death and he is so confident of god's help and protection god won't abandon me whatever happens in life or in death now Do you know that? Do you remember that? God won't abandon you if you're trusting in Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can be confident that he will never leave you. And we can approach death with confidence knowing the same truth. He won't let us go. David's confidence in this psalm is found in the same place that we find our confidence. His confidence was in Jesus. Now that's not just um, making it up, but actually in Act Two, Peter quotes this psalm, and he tells us David is actually prophesying here about Jesus. He's looking ahead and he is seeing Jesus um, doing something for him so that he can have confidence in death. And, and look, look again at verse nine and ten. My heart is glad, David says. My being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter's point in Acts 2 is this, but David's body did see corruption. So he's not talking about himself there. You won't abandon my soul, David says, or let your Holy One see corruption. So David was putting his hope in the Holy One to come. David's body was rotting in the ground in Acts chapter 2. However, the body of the Holy One, Jesus Christ, was risen again, was ascended to heaven. And so David's confidence was in the resurrection of Jesus. Because his body was not, he said, you won't let your holy one see corruption. So our hope this morning that God is with us now and forever, and when we enter into death, he won't leave us, is Jesus Christ, because he has conquered death, and he has been there, and he says, I am with you, I've got you, and I won't let you go. Neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So can look at the confidence we can have. And if you're not a Christian, look at the confidence you could have if you come into this refuge that David's telling us of, the refuge of God. It is one of deep devotion. It is one of satisfying savouring. It is one of profound protection. And in this last verse, it is one of everlasting enjoyment. See, so he's describing this refuge, a glorious refuge, everlasting enjoyment. I think this last verse, if we grasp it, can turn our lives upside down. What view of God do you have in your mind? What is he like? If you were near him, what would it be like? Is it one of a spoiled sport, a nasty head teacher, one who's trying to trick you or catch you out, one who is sinister? Look what we told you. Look what David says. You make known to me the path of life, fullness, life in its joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, there, there are pleasures forevermore. So, David had tasted God's goodness. And he experienced a deep pleasure that, was, that he was tasting now, but that he knew would go on forevermore. Isn't that great news? We are following and trusting a God who, when you are near him, there are pleasures to be had, there is delight, there is fullness of joy. Now, that is such a powerful truth. Do you believe it? Do you believe that's what God is like? You see, when it comes to our experience of him, we need to long for and seek after an experience of great joy and pleasure because when we're near him and when he's near to us, there should be a joy. There should be pleasure. There should be an excitement and a delight. Tomorrow, when you wake up, yes, we're on the narrow path but we're on a path that is of superior pleasure and joy to any other path. When it comes to fighting temptation, you are not saying no to pleasure and yes to God. Yet yeah, when you come into temptation, you're not saying, oh, I'm not going to have pleasure. I'm going to have to say yes to God instead. No, sin offers some pleasure, but God offers supremely more. And so when it comes to temptation, we're saying no to little pleasures. No to rubbish pleasures that aren't going to last. And yes to eternal, soul-satisfying, deep and rich pleasures of God. So sin loses its grasp and its power because suddenly we see, what was I thinking? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is more glorious. See, the fleeting pleasures of this world won't last. But the pleasure we have with God are forevermore. So when we think of glory and heaven and life forever with God, it is going to be one of fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. And we can taste that now. That's the refuge that we're told about you. That is the shelter that we're invited into. Do you believe that? I wonder if you could pray, pray that God would show you this week something of the joy that is to have in Him, the fullness of um, uh, uh, pleasure that he promises. Lord, help us to experience this with you. If you're not a Christian, do you see this is the God you're turning down? One who promises this supreme joy, these glorious pleasures that we long to know. And where um, C.S. Lewis says, we can, we're like children playing in a mud with mud pies. You know, a child playing in a puddle, muddy puddle, went just over the hill is the offer of a holiday on the beach that's what playing with sin is like we're playing with mud in a puddle and god says i want to offer you a holiday of a lifetime why are you messing about with it come enjoy these pleasures what is this shelter like it is one of deep devotion satisfying savoring profound protection and everlasting enjoyment think again of that scene we're under this rickety um, shelter that is about to fall down, and then there's a lovely cottage welcoming us in. Which are we going to choose today? David says, "Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge." Would you join him today? Would you flee to that refuge, the one of glorious welcome? And Jesus makes it possible, offering us forgiveness and a fresh start, because He died and rose again. That is our hope. That is our God. Let's pray before we sing a song of resurrection and joy in our God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who promises uh, to be with us. And when you are near, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at your right hand. Thank you that you make known to us the path of life. Lord, help us, please. We ask, Lord, if, if any of us have been drifting... If any of us have wandered away from this refuge and have been finding ourselves in these other refuges that aren't working, we pray you'd help us to repent today, to leave that refuge and to turn to the true refuge that will never let us down, the true refuge uh, that is you. We pray, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus, the one who took our sin and our shame so that we could experience this wonderful devotion and delight in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.